Jumbo, fellow adventurers, I'm Mike Dooley, here to remind you once more that your thoughts become things. And I'm going to do it today by dropping another edition of a week's worth of spiritual tune-ups. These were broadcasted live this week. My answers to fellow adventurers' questions about life, dreams, and happiness, and each one took 5, 10, or 15 minutes. We've sewn them all together for your viewing and listening enjoyment. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. Jumbo, fellow adventurers, Mike Dooley, happy Monday. Time for another spiritual tune-up on a heavy topic, but above all, heaviness is lightness, and we're here to live the life of our dreams. Thoughts become things. Let's talk about it. Do people sometimes end their life before their time? Specifically, Mike, you once said that all deaths are suicides. But what about suicides that we see in real life? Do we always know when and how we are going to pass? Or do people sometimes end their life before their time? Now, to qualify, uh, I did make that comment. I was quoting the Seth material by Jane Roberts where Seth said, all deaths are suicide. Because we're all constantly, 24-7, streaming our lives into existence. And so where, whether we consciously and deliberately kill ourselves, or we do it without direct awareness through a disease or an ailment or an accident, um, all of it's ordained at a higher level by ourselves. But let's drill down and look at the difference between the kind of suicide that comes at the end of a, a long life through old age, um, natural causes, so to speak, versus uh, a deliberate willful intent to end your life. Um, we, I want to make a point right off the bat that we live our lives and that we are therefore alive as long as we have an objective to achieve. We all come here with objectives. Sometimes it's just to love and have fun. Don't look for great meaning in this. It's just like to be, to master the art of living, to develop cooperation, patience, empathy, to have fun, to fall in love and be loved. We come here with these kind of objectives. Nothing that's uh, not naturally or innate in all of us. We choose every single lifetime for cool, fun reasons, contrary to what our physical senses show us. And as long as the game is on and we don't have conflicting, limiting beliefs that are denying us the ability to move forward on these objectives, then we stay alive. Once these objectives can no longer be met, perhaps due to beliefs in your body falling apart in old age, or perhaps they can no longer be met because we've become really stubborn and we refuse to consider other ways that we could live our lives in joy, then the end point is near. Um, and, and this could be consciously or subconsciously. The way it most often happens is subconsciously, our streaming manifestations are the result of a confluence, a blending and a melding of all of our thoughts, beliefs, expectations, hopes, desires, fears, loves, constantly kind of going into this funnel and streaming into an eternal now 
what most approximates the summation of all of our thoughts. So at a, if at a deep level we have conflict that completely denies our ability to express as we would like to be expressing completely, hugely, this is quite uncommon, but if that happens, then subconsciously our inner guidance system, if you will, not through a will apart from our own, because this can always be sussed out at the conscious level, but our inner guidance system will be looking to check out through an accident, COVID, cancer, or some other way, because our objectives can no longer be met, and we've refused, in many cases, to consider uh, plan C, or none of the above, let's move on to something new, let's discover uh, a new pathway. So when we have run out of options, no matter what our age, but this would generally only happen in adult years when we become really stubborn um, and we can no longer achieve any of the object objectives we want, the confluence of our thoughts, not through a decision, but through what is actually gurgling through your mind, uh, dissatisfaction, unhappiness, um, sick and tired of it, don't want to play anymore, would look for a way out and boom, that's all she wrote. And so that is one type of a suicide. If, on the other hand, through anger, resentment, uh, jealousy, revenge, I remember my mother seeing a psychiatrist 40 years ago, and the psychiatrist told her that most suicides are revenge-oriented. Most people are trying to make a huge statement. A person who consciously takes a gun or jumps off of a building, um, they're, they're trying to make a very loud statement of, I'll show you, I'll show you. Um, this is not rational thinking. There could well be countless objectives that could still be met to bring this kind of, uh, to bring happiness to this kind of person. Uh, they're not in their right state of mind. If they pull the trigger, well, you could, you could rightly say, that they did not end before their time. There was still stuff that could be done, and that's true for every single lifetime, if our thoughts can accommodate it. But that they checked out, it was not before their time. They bit off more than they could chew. Uh, they were overwhelmed uh, on a playing field. They thought that they could rise above, because we choose the playing fields. We know the probabilities. We see the potential for heartbreak, uh, loneliness, boredom, etc. And we see that and we choose those lifetimes and we choose throughout the lifetime because we know we can overcome. But if they decided to take the quick and easy way out, the quick and easy way out, um, it could be said that they bit off more than they could chew, um, that they were not up to the task before them, and that they passed. Uh, it was not early. It was, it was how things shook out. But if you are in a realm where you can assess and you can look and you can say, hmm, I think I might pull the trigger, hmm, you are alive and well enough to be able to contemplate other pathways. I could never speak forcefully enough about the folly or the foolishness or the short-sightedness of intentionally, willfully, consciously committing suicide. It achieves absolutely nothing. Do you think you're going to show them? They're going to forget about you in three days, okay? Do you think you're going to evade your problems? You're going to wake up on the other side and they're still there. Do you, 
whatever you think you're going to accomplish through a physical, conscious, deliberate suicide, none of those objectives will be met. And, and much to your chagrin, when you are greeted with love and adoration and non-judgment on the other side, you will be shown that you still must face these issues yet again. And they will begin helping you plan another incarnation where you go back into the jungles of time and space, but this time with a slightly easier course load. Uh, all that time will have been lost. And in the new course load, you will never be able to replicate the opportunities and the love and the infinite possibilities that now exist in your life. You will absolutely regret it if you decide to consciously pull your trigger. And, and as I have said to different folks who have written me about this kind of thing, it's like, look, however facetious or silly this may seem, in the blink of an eye, in the blink of an eye, you will die of natural causes, okay? And you will be cradled in the palm of God's hand. Even if you live another 300 years, it's a blink of an eye. You're gonna die anyway. So you will achieve absolutely zero if you die today versus allow it to be through natural causes. It is never as bleak as it seems. It is never as hopeless as it seems. You are overwhelmed right now if this is something going through your head by circumstances. You are greater than your circumstances. You are the creator of your circumstances. By definition, you are their greater. You are greater than your challenges. You are greater than your dreams. You are greater than all that you see with your physical senses. You are here and you're alive today because the confluence of your thoughts is telling you that there's still objectives to be reached. There are still bells to ring. There is still love to be had. Even if you can't see it right now. I can remember the darkest ebb of my life. 21 years ago, my girlfriend was cheating on me and my, my business seemed to be in ruins and I had very limited cash flow and I was distraught beyond words. I was not suicidal, but I was distraught. And I remember wondering, if I would ever be happy again. And I would look at people happy and I would be like, you don't know. You don't know. You're, you're naive. It just hasn't happened to you yet. You're going down. We're all going down. It's a miserable waste of time. I would go to the grocery store and be envious of the, 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 the people who were, what do they say? Um, naivety, uh, uh, you know, being stupid is bliss. You know, what's that? called. There's an expression. Somebody will type it down. Ignorance is bliss. And I'd be, oh, you're just, it's just your ignorance that makes you happy. But I will tell you as much as everything in my life was wrong back then. And I know that many of you have had it worse. Maybe many of you are going through worse than I went through right now, but I'm telling you that's how much it hurt. I really didn't know if I'd be happy ever again. I didn't know if I would date ever again. I was 40 years old. I thought I was so old. <laughs> um, but with it, with time, and it took, it took almost a year, but I stayed busy with my life. I did what I could with what I had. Not only did happiness return, but it returned in ways unimaginable prior to the fall. Unimaginable. So much joy, so much happiness, so much wealth and friends and laughter and travel and everything I ever wanted. And I thank God I went through what I went through because, man, my life... 
if I had stayed on that track, oh, it never would have got this good. The relationship wasn't that good to begin with, although I wanted to save it more than anything at the time. Uh, my business wasn't that good to begin with, uh, although I would have gone anything to go back uh, to what it was from where it was then. Um, everything changes for the better and it changes so fast. And while you cannot see this in the moment, you can lean on it. You can have faith. You can trust. You can hear me. You can hear other success stories. Committing suicide is the mistake of all mistakes when done consciously. Because if you're at that crossroads and you have the wherewithal to contemplate ending your life, you are a large giant in these jungles of time and space. You know your power and infinite possibilities await if you just bide your time. Just be patient. Ask for help. Go within. Connect some dots. Read some profound books, some Hay House books, some Seth books. Ramtha, Seth, go to my website, tut.com. Under resources, there's an updated recommended reading list. Some enlightenment books, some self-realization books, some deliberate living books, happy books, novels. Uh, there's only about 20 books at most. Um, but the best of your life is before you, no matter who you are, no matter your age, no matter what. Right now, that you're hearing this is meaningful. And there were also one or two other spiritual tune-ups um, in the past year and a half where I specifically spoke to suicides and the possibilities, the ramifications. I want you to know you're not alone. Reach out to me. Reach out to anybody if you need help. Call it what it is. Tell me the kind of help you think you need. Tell a professional the kind of help you need. There ain't no shame. You have so much to look forward to. And you would regret so deeply on the other side the carnage that such a, such, a, such a choice would bring to those you love and care about more than you realize how much you love and care about. Not to mention your own self. I do have a book. The Top 10 Things Dead People Want to Tell You. I put a link below on Facebook. Swipe up and Instagram. Go to my Amazon.com uh, page. In that book, The Top 10 Things Dead People Want to Tell You, one of my most highly rated books, thanks to readers at Amazon. There are a number of references to suicide from the perspective of the person contemplating it, from the pers perspective of the person who just did it, and from the perspective of the survivors, okay? And for you survivors out there, know that your loved ones are adored. They have not been judged. We don't live in a world or a universe uh, or a spiritual realm of any kind of judgment whatsoever. They have been rehabilitated. They're being loved. They're being shown other choices they could have made. They'll be back, back in the sun. They're going to be okay. Jumbo, fellow adventurers, it's Mike Dooley. Time for another spiritual tune-up. Where? in a number of ways with different answers to your questions, I tried to convey the fact that your thoughts become things. Not sometimes, but all the time you're here, pushed on to greatness to live a joyful life. Uh, today's question on the heels of yesterday's, which was about suicide or leaving uh, the world early, if that's even possible. Mike, what if you never bloom? How is it? that we come to life to play the game full out and discover we have not lived it fully until we're 60 or 70 or 80 or maybe never. Similarly, what's the use of coming here and being in pain for your whole life, whether it's a short life or a long life? So many people I know committed suicide. And then what are the babies who get abused or were murdered? I get 
that life is like a movie set. And we may decide to visit the production, but why would anyone come for such horrific stuff? Ask these hard questions, not only of me, moreover of yourself, because every question has an answer and every question lifts you closer to the light of truth where you will have traction and clarity and begin to see the love through the ecstasy that is your birthright, that is here for all of us right now. Okay, there's a lot of layers to this question, but the first part of the question was, you know, what if we never bloom? You can't not bloom. It's impossible to not bloom. Okay, it's a double negative here. Your life is blooming in progress. Now, blooming, okay, that's a subjective word, and it's got very different meanings. And some th people would think that blooming is having a lot of friends and making a lot of money and always being in pursuit of dreams that always come true. That's one version of blooming. You got to understand, please, that life in these sacred jungles of time and space is not reality. It is a workshop. It is a workbook. Like, uh, like Richard Bach said, you know, we can scribble in the pages or we can write really neatly. We can do whatever we want. But the whole thing is an exercise in enlightenment, moving towards truth, understanding who we really are. And whether or not you feel like you're reaching those objectives for the fact that you are here and stuff is happening or more to the point in this question for the fact that you're here and nothing seems to be happening your objectives are being met and you are in full bloom in this workshop which is fleeting i tried to do a google search to find out the source of this quote a lifetime is but a night to the soul I couldn't find it. Maybe you can post it if you can find it. I'm sure you've heard it as well. A lifetime is a blink. It is a nanosecond to eternity. So if in that nanosecond you are maybe learning how to come to terms with fear or resistance, these lessons will pay dividends for eternity. Don't judge the lesson. Don't judge the ick. Don't judge the quagmire. Now, I know the question went into child abuse and murder, and I've talked on all of those subjects, each of those subjects, and many other spiritual tune-ups. Indirectly, they pertain to what I'm speaking of now. Why would somebody choose a life that, to the physical senses, is just horror, a total horror show, uh, to the physical senses? That doesn't mean nothing is being learned. It doesn't mean that there's not love, growth, uh, and a journey being played out with objectives being met. To the physical senses, why would somebody do that? A million reasons. Maybe because they thought they had to. Maybe because they feel like they're paying penance for guilt that was self-created in another lifetime, in another existence. And so because they feel like they put somebody through hell, they feel like, and they want to go through hell right now to feel better about themselves, to make amends. They didn't have to. None of us have to do anything. But we choose from the highest point of our awareness, from the zenith, the pinnacle of our majesty, where we know all things. And from there, they said, okay, 
I want to have a real short, tiny little dream of where I'm suffering. And that dream might be a lifetime. But there's more to what's going on than meets the physical senses. As I shared uh, many times, even recently, a life is not characterized by its end. And while somebody might die at three days old or 30 years old in a gruesome way for reasons of their choice directly or indirectly, I know that's a difficult one, um, that doesn't mean that the whole life was characterized that way. It doesn't mean that there wasn't love. I, re I know and I, I daily I refer to the Seth material. I haven't really read the Seth books in 40 years, but they're so powerful. Seth says that we have gone where angels fear to tread. We have willingly forgotten who we really are, that all is well, that our adventures are being played out in the heart of God. We have gone to a place to ascend once again and realize anew who we really are. Talk about adventure, where there's love and possibilities at every turn. Maybe you won't see those in this lifetime for reasons of your choice, or maybe you haven't seen them yet, but they await you just around the corner and you can't know until you go there. If you are here, the bloom is on. Don't judge it. Everything can change in an instant, in the breath, in the blink of an eye. Stay the course. I will also tell you something I remember that Seth said of Seth's many, many, many countless incarnations as a human being, where there was male and female, highs and lows, triumphs, accomplishments. One of Seth's absolute favorite, richest lifetimes was when he was a, an impoverished beggar, a woman with something like seven or eight or nine children to feed, living on the streets by her wit's end. And every night she would fear the passing of the evening would lead to one of her children's death, starvation and worse, abduction. And upon waking in the morning and counting their heads and finding all was well, brought about moments of elation and ecstasy that were unmatched in all of her other wealthy, adventurous, achievement-oriented lifetimes. Now, I'm not asking you to understand that. I can barely understand that, except that it illustrates that so much more is going on. And with the context of other lifetimes and in the context of the highs and lows you've had in this lifetime, marks are being made, bells are being run, ex rung, experiences are being had that will have such meaning to you later on. And if you would allow it, they could have such meaning to you right now that you are here in this Garden of Eden. Do you really have to ring bells? Isn't every single moment of your life a bell being rung? Look out at the window like I'm doing right now and you see the greenery and the dappled shade and the blue skies and the birds and the, and the animals and it's just screaming of love and joy and infinite possibilities. You can see that and you can look at yourself and see the vibratory essence of your being this fleeting dance with eternity you get to be you stop looking to compare your life to the lives of other people's comparison is the thief of joy as was said by somebody famous um, comparisons are odious just revel in the ecstasy of every single moment before you that you can open your peepers and see some can't that you can hear and play a song make up a song 
craft a rhyme, uh, go out and smile at a stranger and see them smile back, a smile that would not have happened if it wasn't for you, do some good deeds, be uh, the good Samaritan, anonymous benefactor. It's like the world is so filled with opportunities and you can do that now. I think I've made the points I've wanted to make. What makes a life worthwhile? Is it money? Is it love? It's neither, my friend. You are already rich and you are bathed in love. What makes a life worthwhile is thinking thoughts you've never thought before. And suddenly every lifetime has that opportunity because thinking thoughts you've never thought before from this teeny little wee perspective of being mere mortal, you can start moving back towards the light. You can start moving into the, the perfection that is. You can start seeing yourself in every blade of grass. And you can start seeing yourself behind the eyes of every child, every adult, every person you come across, in the eyes of your fur babies, uh, in the trunk of a tree. That's you. This is what's going on. This is what makes a life worthwhile. Thinking things you've never thought before, full stop. And don't characterize that with judgment. Don't fill that with, oh, dread and oh, no, and somebody has more money than me. Nobody came here to make a bunch of money. Nobody came here to make a bunch of friends. We all came here to think thoughts we've never thought before. And you can steer the ship of your dreams so that those thoughts make you smile, make you yearn for more, that draw you out of your lair, into the world, into the sunshine. You can choose the direction you're going to think those new thoughts. Jumbo, fellow adventurers, Mike Dooley, time for another spiritual tune-up where I answer your questions. All the answers ultimately boil down to thoughts become things. You are the divine creator of your existence. This week, some heavy topics about premature death, suicide, intentional otherwise. Um, so let's keep it there. Let's keep it in the deep and juicy stuff. Uh, Mike, exactly what role does God play in our lives? Mike, why were we taught to pray? And why were we taught the way to heaven is only through Jesus? First of all, God, define everything always at once. Everywhere always at once. You, me, every mote of dust, every bumblebee, every tree, uh, the vacuums and voids and black holes of space, all of it is pure divine energy. There is nothing that is not. Um, the origins of God were written by lost people um, filtering truth there through their beliefs at the time. We'll go there in just a second. Um, and, and it's understandable, not passing judgment on them. We are living on the razor's edge of reality creation where the divine creating unimaginable symphonies of magnificence, beauty, physical universes and realms that don't require time and space that boggle our little brains, wanted to taste the bounty of her creation. Now I say her to rattle your cage, to make you stop thinking uh, like God is some guy, okay? God's not a guy, God is not a girl. God is way beyond all of that, yet God is every guy and every girl. Okay, so she wanted to taste the bounty of her glory. She, metaphorically. 
And so while there were these worlds being born at an unbelievable rate, an eternity no less, the only way or a new way, a brilliant way, a mind-numbing way. Talk about Nobel Peace Prizes. Okay, dude, you get one. Emerge yourself inside of your creation, fleetingly forgetting that you're everywhere always at once. And pretend that you're here, not there, even though you're there. Pretend that you're uh, now, not then, not past, not in the future, even though you are in the past and you are in the future simultaneously. Pretend that you're just this little, the spark of God while you're really still the entire enchilada. Okay, and by playing this game, suddenly lions and tigers and bears, love and romance, objectivity, things that never existed in earlier experiences of divine mind. Now, it's fleeting. And yes, it can be scary and it can be ugly and it can pinch and hurt. But there's so much more beauty and so much more love and so many, so many infinite possibilities. Is that a tongue twister? Uh, broken sentence or what. I mean, the glory everywhere and everyone is saved and there's always redemption and everyone gets out alive, contrary to our physical senses. So all of a sudden now there's space for emotion. There's space for reunions. There's space for getting together and getting away and going here and there. Whereas before, none of that was imaginable. And God in the deepest sense, didn't know joy like we know joy, didn't know loneliness like we know, did not know any human emotions. That's why we're here, so that we can experience these fleeting emotions that contrast all else that we can feel, that light our souls on fire, on journeys to go distances that we couldn't go before, whether literal or metaphoric, making a dream come true. And in every journey, you fall deeper in love with reality and deeper in love with yourself and others fall in love with you. Now, you are born of love, only know love, only can express love. And yes, there are times in these jungles of time and space where we can get lost and it hurts and it does not feel pleasing and it feels awful, but that's fleeting. And if you're in a low right now, it will pass. It always has, it always will. Your, your challenge is to rise above the illusions and go within, awaken the Christ within, which is what we're going to talk about in just a second. So do you get the notion here that God is this playful, creative creature, nonstop expansion, exploring every possibility and possibilities within possibilities and with an intelligence that can create the physical universe and parallel dimensions and realms we cannot even fathom all simultaneously for the sheer joy of it, for the beauty of it, for the fun of it. Look at what your eyes can see if you have a blessed with vision. The colors, the birds, the butterflies, they are for your eyes. That's why they exist. That's why there's flowers. It's all for you. It's all for you. Who are you? You're God Almighty. The baton, baton has been passed. You are that speck of God playing and you can know that you are that spark of God to when you wake up and you realize that you are all of God and you blend back in but not losing your identity. You will never go away. You will always be celebrated. Okay, 
Uh, I could go on and on and on speaking of the grandeurs of the jungles of time and space and in earlier tune-ups I have. This is not a brand new question. It's just a slightly different take, slightly different answer. Check out the 300 plus earlier tune-ups in the archives. Mike, why were we taught to pray the way we pray? As I shared, this was born of a very confusing time from the dissension from divine mind into the soup of time, space, and matter. Suddenly, we thought that we were byproducts of a physical universe, not realizing we were the creators, the initial primal force of all. This was hidden from ourselves, and we allowed it to be hidden from ourselves so that we could be reborn within the illusions and discover who we really are. So in our confusion, thinking we're unimportant, thinking that life happens to us instead of noticing that we are happening to life, we were gra grasping for truths and grasping for traction just as you are now, just as I am now. And in that grasping, we started to put together pieces and we started to connect dots and we started to realize there was an intelligence greater than our own. But we characterized, we being our ancestors of a millennia ago, we characterized what this divine intelligence greater than ourselves would be like, but we could only see with our filtered lenses based on our limited beliefs, our confused beliefs at the time. And so we saw that the, the king of the jungle, no doubt, was a guy, a man with brute strength. And the angrier and more physical he was, the more powerful and the more followers he had. And so, man, this is, must be God. God must be a guy who's really strong, who's really angry, who's really jealous, who's really vengeful. All words from the Old Testament. That's what they said. God's an angry, jealous, vengeful guy. Because that's the best they could do when trying to name for traction in their own survival, the intelligence that was pervading everything. Even then, they were wise enough to realize that we can't just be a random chance accident. If that's where you are, maybe ask a question and I'll try to speak to that. But the beauty, the order, the logic, the symbiotic relationships everywhere on this one planet just blow the mind. Of course it's not accident. Of course consciousness didn't arise from a rock. That's never happened. It's far more plausible to see there's intelligence everywhere and say something's going on than it is to say, well, uh, you know, I, I, you, can't, you can't prove that, so I don't believe it. So they saw intelligence everywhere and to give themselves traction in their terror for how difficult life was back in the day, they would pray to this angry God. Some people came up with the idea of throw them our babies and make human sacrifices or at least kill a goat. And so they had these crazy rituals and they said, pray to God. They were smart. We all have the truth inside of us. Even then, filtered through their beliefs, they knew enough to discover and old religions all do this. They give you some sort of hope tainted as it may be. They give you some kind of assurance you're not alone. They give you some kind of assurance that, that there is a process here. And if you do your best, you're going to get to the promised land, even though you're in the promised land right now, and it's only going to get better. So the blind were leading the blind, and they thought God was this dude and that needed alms and sacrifice and penance, and, and they thought God was judging you, and so you had to go to confession 
God's bigger than that. There's nothing and no one God cannot rehabilitate. I mean, do you think so little of God? There's like, oh, that person's so broke, there's no hope. God would take responsibility. I made that person. I made that person in my likeness, drawing from biblical terms. Now, that's just a metaphor. God didn't make us like we were lumps of clay. We are God. This is where God fits into the equation of reality creation is you and me. And yes, there's more. There's support. There are angels. There are spirit guides. There's so much going on that our physical senses can't see. But it's enough for you to realize that this is the kingdom of heaven and your thoughts become things and that your kindness and your love comes back to you in this oasis of perfection and magnificence and beauty. That's why we've been told to pray. And then about Jesus, um, what was the, the, the question? You know, why were we taught the, the only way to heaven is through Jesus? I've done Jesus spiritual tune-ups before. In a nutshell, answered our pleas, a being like, a, okay, at the, the time of the arrival of the, the, the God spark Jesus, uh, humanity was crippled over in darkness, metaphorically, lost, angry, terrified, very short lifespans. Humanity had this cumulative yearning for help. Throw me a line, give me a bone, please help. And simultaneously, as God's sparks seek to emerge, one such spark answered the call, somebody just like you and me named Jesus. And Jesus rose to the occasion and was part of the group manifestation of the people at the time on earth who desperately yearned for and believed that help could be sent. And Jesus had his own lessons to learn, his own adventures to explore. And Jesus kind of took, uh, took the invitation and showed up to show us what man, there's no such thing as man versus God. It's all God what God as man could do. And God said, we are all children of God. Jesus never claimed to be something that we weren't. He said the things he did, we all can do. And he said, we will do greater than him. He didn't say, when you're all goody two-shoes, when you all sacrifice the, your needs, when you all put the needs of others before your own, then you're going to do some rocking good work on planet earth. It's like, no, believe and you shall receive. Pray to your Father within as I have prayed to my Father within. Jesus found and unlocked the Christ consciousness within his spirit, his soul, his being that we all have. And so Jesus, the carpenter, then became Jesus, the Christ. His name wasn't Christ. I think you've got to know that by now. It's Jesus, the Christ, meaning Jesus, the awakened one, Jesus the awoken. He went within and realized he was pure divine, of the divine, for the divine. And that's all he could do was share the word with others. He performed miracles so that we could realize we can perform miracles. You're already worthy. You're already deserving. You already passed all the tests. That's how you got your ticket to time, space, and matter. You're already in the winner's circle. If you just get out of your own way, if you just ask for guidance, ask for help, have your dreams, follow your heart, you will automatically be serving humanity. And the day will come when your greatest desires are not for good and plenty, but to help other people. And that's where you 
find your greatest joy. We're all here together. We're all in love. We're all deeply loved. And what Jesus did uh, is what we can all do. And so it is through the Christ within you that you will find heaven. Not through Jesus' Christ. Not through Jesus Christ will you find heaven and salvation. You will find peace of mind, joy, and true ecstasy when you go within and you see the truth of all that I've just shared and all that so many countless others have shared in the past and are sharing today. No one's got a lock on truth. Truth is absolute. Anybody can get there. And it all starts sounding similar when it speaks of life's beauty and your power. And it leaves nobody behind. Too often religions don't do that. They are exclusionary. But they are doing their best to kind of name the truth, to give people traction for a better life and to instill hope. So that's the story of creation. That's the story of God. Yes, there is a God. And yes, there was a Jesus, beloved brother to us all, showing us what you can do when you go within and awaken the Christ within heaven on earth. Everything you touch turns to gold. Hallelujah. Do I have an amen? Jumbo, fellow adventurers, it's Mike Dooley. Thoughts become things here with a tune-up question I have never gotten in almost 400. I don't know where, uh, why it took so long, but what a great topic. Near-death experiences. Mike, could you please speak to the subject of near-death experiences and especially to the subject on when people die and come back from death with vivid experiences of going to hell or seeing heaven? If hell is not real, as I share, um, what is really happening here? Thanks again. This is so much fun. Um, I, I don't think I need to preface this with, you know, what is he talking about? There are endless experiences recorded and documented where people clinically die on an operating table or struck by lightning, or vital signs are gone, they're dead. But yet, within moments or minutes, sometimes to a shocking degree, a lot of minutes later, they are resuscitated. They come back. They're kicking and they're screaming or they're laughing and they're crying. And they recount a memory of what just happened to them. They left their body. Very typically, they're drawn to the light um, and, and they meet guides, they're given options, choices, things are explained to them. And in some cases, they claim to have found devils and demons chasing them. And it was a horrific experience. In probably 98% of the experiences I've heard of anecdotally or read about or seen on YouTube, the, the experience is to the contrary. Um, there is this presence of love, uh, the divine, uh, a belief and a sensation that, that everything around them is alive and that they feel this unspeakable love and acceptance and appreciation in spite of a lifetime filled with sin and mistakes and um, bad judgment. They are seen as the hero or heroine they, that we all truly are. And yet, the way these things go for the fact that they came back is that so often they're given a choice uh, to either 
continue on in this new realm without their physical body, let their body on earth go the way of bodies on earth, or return. And clearly, we're hearing the stories of those who chose to return. We don't hear the stories of those who went on unless you're hooked up with a good medium. And absolutely, mediums can a good medium can pick up on the message, the vibration, the energy, and, and return a totally clear, um, beautiful conversation. Uh, I, I've done that with my mother through some talented mediums. One of them is Tracy Farquhar. Look her up, Tracy Farquhar. She's one of my co-authors in a book, Conversations with Deep Space. Anyway, back to near-death experiences. What's going on here is the same that happens in life. I don't think any of us get the degree to which, me included, that we are constantly streaming our reality, our experiences on the fly. I'm streaming this experience right now. You're co-streaming this experience right now, and it has to be in alignment with our beliefs. And whatever our beliefs are, it filters our thoughts, our expectations, and it changes our words and our behaviors so that we can be in congruence with the world that we see and the world that we react to, which was the world and is the world that we create streaming manifestors on the plane of manifestations on the fly. And so if somebody believes that life is difficult, unfair, God is angry, and people are morons, I tell you, when they go out into the world, that is what they experience. And when somebody, and I'm getting to the near-death part in just a moment, and when somebody believes that life is just a, a, a celebration, a dance with the divine, that people all mean well, that everything is here to serve them, that, that, that they are blessed beyond imagination, when they go out the door, oh my gosh, the parade begins, the fireworks start, and life is one unending feast. This is the way it works. Not sometimes, but all the time. In your life, every moment of every day, no matter what, plays out based on your beliefs, your expectations that steer you towards you, what you dwell on, what you think about, and your thoughts become things on the fly, instantaneously, in this grid, in this matrix that we all agree to on planet Earth, year 2021. Okay, so that's how it works. When you transition... When your body dies and you go on, because of course the body is one thing, your spirit, your soul, your essence is eternal. When, the, when your consciousness departs from the body, guess what? Thoughts become things. You meet, you experience, you see, you feel, you attract to yourselves guidance, wisdom, angels, demons, exactly as you expected. Your thoughts continue to become things on the other side. Yet, there is a framework and a matrix over there that we came here through. There is an agreement to these coordinate points and the angels. And yes, you're going to meet others in time and space, and you will meet others on the other side. And you will meet either angels or demons based on your true deep expectations. And some of the books that I have read in, in ages past, I, I wish I could tell you their names, undoubtedly the Seth material, I don't know where else, but several different 
channeled books of the most profound nature have said that there are people who believe, and my uncle was one of them who committed suicide you know, 20, 30 years ago. Uh, when you die, that's it, lights out. They don't believe in God. They don't believe in heaven or hell. They believe that, that, that we are all formerly amoebas that emerged from the ocean and learned to walk upright, just a random freak chance of nature, which is utterly preposterous. Please check the other 300, 400 spiritual tune-ups for all kinds of talks about evolution and origins and who we really are. But for those people who believe that that's it, lights out, life is random, it's all pure chance. It's as if metaphorically, they're all lined up, sound asleep, knowing that they're dead, believing that they're dead, and believing that nothing happens, and they, for a time, are unreachable. Angels are there, guides are there, spiritual family members are there. They, no one's ever lost. Don't worry about that. No one is ever, ever lost, okay? It's all playing out inside the heart of God. Being lost is not possible. But if you want to believe lights out, that's it, well, then you're going to have that experience until all of a sudden you realize after a millennia or a week or whatever, time is different over there, that you're still thinking and that your eyes are closed so you can open them metaphorically. And that, hey, you know, you can look around and, and somebody's, somebody's calling your name. So you were there for a day, a week, a thousand years playing dead because you thought that's how it played out. I can't quite fathom all the logistics, but you get what you expect. So if you expect pitchforks and brimstone or an angry God, that's what you'll get. But Seth would say that there are guides and angels constantly lurking in those scenes that you create, trying to reach you and trying to say it's okay and trying to plant seeds of new thoughts in your mind so that there's a glimmer of hope, so that they can whisper in your ear, so that they can play out this drama in alignment with your beliefs, so that you can be reachable and shown that life goes on, that it was this beautiful game, that there's love everywhere, that you're going to be all right. Oh my gosh, just like on planet Earth, they're whispering in your ear right now. Guides and angels, they're telling you there's hope. There's light. You're not being judged. You're going to make it. You're being pushed on to greatness. Keep thinking the good thoughts. Don't be distracted by circumstances. Circumstances might not seem fair, but reality is. Hang in there and you will see this. This is the nature of reality. The same as here, as in between in these near-death experiences. And so people will be drawn to some of the universal constructs of the matrix and coordinate points and bright lights if they allow that and there will be the the guides and the 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 guidance um, and or simultaneously they will be creating within that what their deepest truest expectations are so there's always this wiggle room and there's always room for new thoughts new experiences and to further explain near-death experiences these are the presumably extremely rare cases when somebody does die which was in alignment with their beliefs expectations and thoughts but yet super rare on top of that is that there's a, a fork in the road and their loved ones in the spirit realm, their guides, their guardian angel can see this fork in the road. And so they are there present if allowed to be present. And they are allowed to present the options like you can keep going this way. 
you've done your work, you've learned the lessons, you achieved what you wanted to achieve, but your body is intact. And if you like, you can go back. And we hear only from the ones who came back. And invariably, the vast majority of these cases, they speak of how much the, the beauty was so intense and the love was so palpable that it was hard to choose to come back. But for the love of a, a family member or a partner or a child or for a deep sense that there was still work, joy, adventure to be had, they turned their back on the realms of the infinite, heaven, if you will, and came back here knowing, of course, from that level with that degree of clarity that in the blink of an eye, they're going to be back anyway. So let me go back and clean house a little more, have a few more adventures, connect a few more dots, and I'll be right back here where the light is so bright and so beautiful. So near-death experiences, several very rare things happen. They die and the body's still habitable um, and there's still the option of doing work there. Sometimes people come back and they say, you know, I was told I have to go back even though I didn't want to. Well, a deeper portion of them did want to come back or they wouldn't have come back because you never have to come back. But generally, I think for all of us, every moment we leave this realm, there's a longing and an appreciation that builds. And even the people who say, I'm never going back to planet Earth. If there's reincarnation, I'm not. I really believe that in the light of truth and the love and the understanding that exists eventually on the other side, we almost all want to come back. It's just so freaking beautiful here. Now, at some point, we all go on and, and we don't because, you know, been there, done that 22,000 lifetimes. But until you get to that point, there's just, there's just more glory to be known and more glory to be had. Um, now, why do some people go there and, and remember? That's a whole nother dynamic that I wanted to address. Um, it, it just could be that, that they are spiritually open enough to remember that kind of a thing, just as some remember some psychic or spiritual experiences in a nighttime dream or in their waking life, and some don't remember that. And or it could be fundamental to their future experiences, adventure and learning. Once they come back, it could be fundamental that they remember it. So maybe they were given a little boost or a little help or somehow made a vow to remember that in-between state to give them courage and stamina to hang on in the remainder of the repeat or the revisit of their life. There's a lot of variables. There's not one explanation for anything, but, but I want to kind of speak to uh, a scientific view of near-death experiences, which is so lame. It's just like the scientific view that we all originated from amoebas. It's just so lame, so ridiculous, doesn't add up at all. No offense, okay, for those of you who are fond of your amoeba ancestry, ancestral tree. But uh, scientists have often speculated, you know, people who are steeped in science without spirituality, my, my broad brush stroke of this, they, they like to speculate that it is a function of the brain to ease um, the shock of whatever happened to the body that presumably temporarily killed it, that, that it, 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 it coats the body 
with endorphins and feel-good experiences, which explains why many people go to the light and feel so much love um, and have these psychedelic uh, woo-woo experiences and come back. They speculate that that is part of the evolutionary nature of the brain and the physical body as a coping mechanism for stress and trauma. But that just gets blown to smithereens when you realize, realize what an absolute minuscule, minuscule, minuscule part of the population have such an experience and even fewer remember it. And the only way the body can evolve according to their uh, models of evolution is if, you know, the, the turtle needs to stick out its neck further in each generation as it continues to stick out its neck further uh, the new offspring have this memory and the genes start creating a longer neck on the turtle according to Darwin and thereby the same thing must be happening with the, the brain um, calming the trauma through creating an experience of bright lights and lots of love. Well, that doesn't work if though the vast, vast, vast majority of the species don't come back. So that, that whole idea of it being a coping mechanism to stress that, that people in near-death experiences all share is really preposterous and ridiculous, okay? You gotta know the truth. You gotta ask the hard questions. Don't ask just of me. Ask of life. Ask of yourself. Dwell on them. Wonder about them. You will be a magnet to all things. All things are knowable. Life is the ultimate knowable, but I'm so glad that you give me a chance to speak to some of these wild, esoteric thoughts. Jumbo, fellow adventurers, it's Mike Dooley. Happy Fry Yay. Time for a spiritual tune-up in a week where we have gone deeper and deeper and deeper. Thanks for the amazing questions. Last night, a bunch of questions came in uh, pertaining to the weirdness of time, space, matter, these illusionary holographic jungles of time and space in which we play out our adventures and so fall so deeply in love. So today's going to be answering multiple questions about the weirdness of time and space, including a question I have had that I'm just now getting some traction on. I'm learning as much as anybody else is learning. I'm the student teaching, I hope, best what I most need to learn. Uh, Mike, can you chat about the truth? that there is no such thing as time when we are in spirit form. Ah, but I think there is such a thing as time in spirit form, just not the way we experience it here. Okay, I'm getting ahead of myself. Can't wait to go there. And if we reincarnate, and since the earth population is growing, where are all the new souls coming from? Okay, good one, good one. And here's my question. How can there be growth in a spirit realm, in, in dimensions far beyond the jungles of time and space? How can there be growth at all where, and we, 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 are, we sense, and all the great stuff tells us, the great channeled works included tell us, that consciousness, God, is forever expanding, growing, playing, loving, uh, on and on and on, eternally. So... My question is, if there is growth, that would mean there's got to be some 
context to measure growth within. And here, time and space, we measure is before and after. How can you have growth if there's not before and after? There must be two distinctly different states to measure each and say, oh, there's been growth. The word growth implies time and space, or certainly space. So, so we'll get to that one as well. I can't wait to dive into these uh, weird ana anomalies pertaining to our understanding standings of time and space. So first, let's tackle this question about time. What if loved ones have reincarnated already? Let's say you lost your mom or your dad, like I have. And what if they're so hungry to come back, they're here? Does that mean you can't reach them? You can't go out and dream about them and meet their soul in the nether realms, in the nighttime state, or during meditation? I mean, they're a crying baby in Wuhan, China right now. Oh, oh man, you the, the door closed, sliding doors, right? Um, fun question. Uh, but what this speaks to is our multi-dimensional selves. We are in many places at the same time. Um, I, I asked Frank, uh, who is channeled by Tracy Farquhar, my co-author in the Deep Space book, I said, how come Tracy's always able to get you when it's time for us to have a session? How come you're not out, you know, how come sometimes you're not out mowing the lawn because they live on another planet, Frank, truly? Um, and the same with the council that Sarah Landon channels, and she and I are working on a project together right now. It's kind of shh. Um, how come the council's always ready? How come Seth or Ramtha or Abraham are always standing by? Isn't that the weirdest thing? I mean, don't they have other things to do? The answer is we are multi-dimensional beings. We can be in different times and in different spaces at the same time. And all of the great literature speaks to the fact that we are indeed multidimensional. We don't learn how to become multidimensional. We are multidimensional now. There are forms and aspects of yourself right now thriving and living in an eternal now because it's probably truer to say there is no such thing as time than to say there is a time or a different kind of time, even though I've already uh, contradicted myself. So in the eternal now, you're, you're presently living your past lives, presently living your future lives, presently in between life 999 and 1000, and in between all of the other lives in an eternal now. You're everywhere always at once, as I have often said, in these sacred jungles of time and space, because you are of God, by God. You are pure God, divine energy. And it's only this trick of the light called time and space that you are fleetingly allowing yourself to forget that you're everywhere always at once so that you can get it on as who you now chose to be so that you can really focus at the matters at hand, being a deliberate creator in form, channeling energy into thoughts and consciousness and matter, um, falling in love, all the drama, all that stuff, only by blotting out your awareness of being everywhere at once and being every when at once. Can you get the show on the road? So as my niece, hey Sarah, if you're out there, said when she was like four years old, mommy, I know what happens when you die. And my sister said, what? She said, you go back to normal. 
Whoa, from the mouths of babes, right? And so normal is being everywhere always at once. Where we are now, this is not normal. It's sacred and it's holy and it's beautiful and we are powerful, but this is not normal. So we go back to being aware of our multidimensional selves um, when the whole game and the whole gig is up. And in between lives, there's a lot more elasticity and malleability to kind of see greater glimpses of the truth. So this is the answer as to, you know, how you can still reach grandma who's already reincarnated in, you know, Zimbabwe, um, but she maintains her essence in other realms simultaneously. And it's almost a crutch to say that you are alive everywhere in all of your incarnations. It's true. But you're alive everywhere in all of my incarnations. You're alive everywhere in every instant, in every speck, in every grain of sand, in every nanosecond, in every form of consciousness. It's not just you and your multiple personalities and your multiple locations. Everywhere. You are everywhere, always at once. Yow! Including all of your lifetimes and far beyond all of your known lifetimes and everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. So, so there is this thing as such a thing as simultaneosity, uh, multidimensionality. Um, a very quick summary of this before I go on to the bigger question. Um, that is in time and space, these jungles right now, we've agreed to, to abide by a very rigid understanding of time and space. Why? Because it adds to the juice. It adds to the, the peril. It adds to the, the lust and the adventure and the joy and the, oh my God. You never would have, oh my God, if it wasn't so final and objective and all the duality that's just thrilling and terrifying at the same time. We've agreed to this, you know, e-ticket amusement uh, park ride uh, of the rigidity of time and space where we feel locked in and we have or we have not. We're here or we're there. And it's, it's, it magnifies every emotion. In between lives or in meditation or in our nighttime dreams, there's a lot more malleability. In either case, even within the rigidity, we experience accelerations and slow times. Uh, when you're having a lot of fun, like, oh my gosh, time flies. Or when you're really terrified, as Sarah Landon pointed out recently in a discussion I had. It, similarly, time is just like non-existent. So even in the rigidity, we can play and experiment with it. It can go slower and faster. Um, but on the other side, in other realms, dreams, etc., there's a lot more malleability. And you can pop, 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 pop. I think a highly enlightened being can bring malleability to these rigid jungles of time and space and actually be in more than one place at a time and bend all of the physical rules. But that's another conversation that I'm probably not ready to even have myself. Um, so that's where we're at. That's why it's also rigid and how it's malleable at the same time. Now let's go to this other question about even in the spirit realm, I, I want to deduce, maybe incorrectly, that there is some kind of before and after. We asked Frank, Tracy Farquhar and I, 
uh, in our book, Deep Space with Love, about how they experienced time on Brohashka. And they said in a very different way than us. Now, they're channeling to us from the time-space continuum, not from outside of the time-space continuum. And that was surprising that they're in the same soup, but they're having a different experience of time. And they said they experience it far more circularly circularly. And lo and behold, ever since they said that a couple of years ago, I have read in different books that there is a similar circularity to the experience of time in other realms and in higher dimensions, pointing to the fact that something does exist um, in the spirit realm uh, similar to time, which would explain, I mean, think of it, Right now, I'm speaking to you. Speaking is impossible without one word sequentially following another word on a timeline. Thinking as we normally think with our minds, often using words and sometimes without, is impossible unless there's some form of time because we think linearly. We think here to here to here. We think in terms of words. Suddenly, even in the spirit realm, there's got to be some kind of time. Not what we have here. Maybe it's kind of circular, but something creating sequence. And I just asked this of the council yesterday in this project I'm working on with Sarah Landon. And I said, but surely where you're coming from, which is way, way, way out there, there is some form of sequence. And when I used the word sequence, they said, sure, yes. So in ways that perhaps uh, a mind wired to time and space can't comprehend, there is sequencing. And, and it seems like, at least in my little brain, that it would always exist if there is to be expansion, growth, unending adventure, deeper realms of love. And so here's the new puzzle for, for, for all of us to think about, dwell upon, uh, and contemplate. Um, how might that function? And what's the closest in, on earth, in our own minds, can we come to experiencing it? Maybe thinking without words, like in deep meditation, and it's kind of all fluid. There is still a sequence to one moment I'm feeling this and another moment I'm feeling that. And then there was elation and revelation um, and an expanded uh, knowledge base. Do you see what I'm saying? There's got to be some kind of sequencing Call it time, call it something else. Um, just goes to show the mind-numbing profundity of the mind of God. Uh, not only does it dazzle us within the illusions of time and space with flowers and rainbows and butterflies and snow and beaches and mountains and deserts, but there are realms beyond where none of that exists, yet is no less mind-boggling. Mind-boggling. That's what we have these things for, to boggle and think thoughts we've never thought before. Well, there you have it. One more week's worth of spiritual tune-ups. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed what you just saw or heard, please share with a friend, uh, thumbs up, like, follow, whatever may be the case on the platform you're now experiencing this. If you want more inspiration, every single day I send out a note 
from the universe. Right now it's going out to a million people. We'd love to add you to that list. Enjoy. Thoughts become things. See you next time.